Well, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I knew there was more. Come on. It's good to see you. One more. Good morning. Hey, there you all are. So lovely to be here. So lovely to see you. Thank you for being here. Those who don't know me, I'm Matt. I'm going to go to this one, John, if that's right, and drop that one away. Otherwise, it, I'm such a regular. Um, I never stay still. Um, so lovely to see you. Uh, those who don't know me, I'm Matt, one of the pastors here. And welcome this morning. You've joined us uh, if it is your first time, or you're coming back after a while, or you're visiting on a phenomenal uh, bit of scripture. Whether I do it justice, that's a whole nother question. But gosh, is this wonderful scripture this morning. Um, if we could put up the PowerPoint, that would be fantastic. Thank you. Uh, this morning, Romans 8, the peak of promise. What has God promised? We've been uh, whizzing through... Uh, Romans, I'll come back to that in a moment. I want to show you this first. Um, wait for it. That one. That is the view out of our house window. So that's, uh, Ben will know that little roof there. You like that roof, Ben? That looks nice, doesn't it? It's almost like you made it yourself. Um, that is, <laughs> no plug. Um, that is a great roof. Uh, that is the view outside of our window. And if you look carefully, those are the black down hills. We've lived in our house, uh, on Hamilton Road for five Years And it's an absolute stunning view. But it took four years before Harry said, Dad, um, can we actually climb that hill, please? It took four years for us to go, oh yeah, that would be a really good idea, wouldn't it? Rather than just looking at it from a distance to climb it. So we climbed uh, Staple Hill. And what a glorious view from the top of Staple Hill. That is obviously in the sunset looking over Taunton. You can't quite see it in this, but all of that is the Vale of Taunton. Absolutely stunning. So good that Harry keeps wanting to go back. When can we go back, Dad? Oh, can we go back to Staple Hill today, Dad, as we go on the way to school? No, Harry, we're going <laughs> to school. Um, it's one thing seeing a mountain or a hill and looking at it from a distance and thinking, wow, it's a whole other thing to actually climb up and see the view for yourself. And that's what this morning is. Having set off on this journey of Romans, I'll go back to it now, you can see uh, we set off on the route of the gospel in this extraordinary book. We descended, if you remember, into the valley of sin. We made our way up through the crux of salvation, passing the place of peace through the ridge of freedom last week with Mark. And now we dare to arrive at the summit of hope, or what I'm calling this morning the peak of promise. It's a great alliteration, I'm up for that. The moment where we put our bags down and we look around and we go, whoa, what a view. Because Romans 8 is one of the greatest vantage points in the Bible. It's the moment where Paul unexpectedly or or rather excitedly and almost uncontrollably starts spinning around and pointing all of the amazing parts of the view to us as he sees incredible truths about our present, about our future, about the world, about Jesus, about hope, about the extraordinary promises of God. Have you ever seen anything like it, Paul is saying in not so many words? Every direction he points to is another promise, another moment of utter beauty. As we stand on the peak, we look out. It's one of those moments where photo would never capture it. My words will not do it justice this morning, but we still go, wow, 
Can this be true? The answer is yes. It is true. The promises of God in this chapter are real and they are true. And yet before we take the first steps up to the peak, you wonder, or I wonder, whether you may feel a little reticent, some of you, maybe all of you. Do I really deserve to take this step and see this view? Am I really worthy of such riches that lie in store? Have I really lived a life that merits such reward? We really need to deal with this before we take in the view. Remember as a kid, um, certain films had profound effects on me. Uh, Back to the Future still inspires me to try and build a time machine. I'm not there yet. Um, But there were other wonderful films. But one of them was Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Remember that film with Gene Wilder? Frightening film. Uh, Odd film, but brilliant. And the film, as you'll know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, based on Roald Dahl's book, The whole world goes crazy to try and find these golden tickets because they're hidden in chocolate bars. And if you get one, you get a lifetime supply of chocolate. Or at least that's the promise. You get to go and meet Willy Wonka. You get to go to the chocolate factory of your dreams. And the whole world goes crazy. And this little boy who's poor, who has nothing, he finds finds a penny on the floor. And he has no hope and no chance. And yet, he buys this chocolate bar. He opens it. There's this little glint of gold. And his life is transformed, he's excited, his grandpa jumps out of bed after years of being bedbound, and together they go, you remember, I've got to go, you remember it, um, together they go uh, to, the, to the chocolate factory, and they see the rivers of chocolate, the waterfalls of chocolate, the plants made of candies all around. It's absolutely extraordinary, a life-changing hope. And then the bit that always unsettled me was right at the end, Charlie goes in finally to Willy Wonka's uh, office, having gone through the whole experience of the chocolate factory, and Willy Wonka turns to him and says, no, you lose, you fail, you get nothing. Can we just play the clip? Mr. Wonka, I am extraordinarily busy, sir. I just wanted to ask about the chocolate. The, the lifetime supply of chocolate for Charlie. When does he get it? He doesn't. Why not? Because he broke the rules. What rules? We didn't see any rules, did we, Charlie? Wrong, sir. Wrong. Under Section 37B of the contract signed by him, it states quite clearly that all offers shall become null and void if, and you can read it for yourself in this photostatic copy, I, the undersigned, shall forfeit all rights, privileges, and licenses herein and herein contained, etc., etc., facts, mendic, incendium, gloria, cultum, etc., etc., memo bis, punitor delicatum. It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sterilized, so you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. You're a crook. 
You're a cheat and a swindler. That's what you are. How could you do a thing like this? Build up a little boy's hopes and then smash all his dreams to pieces. You're an inhuman monster. I said good day. Come on, Charlie. Let's get out of here. I'll get even with him if it's the last thing I ever do. Slugworth wants a gobstopper. He'll get him. <laughs> I never forgot that scene. It did something inside of me. It was a disconcerting feeling that this Willy Wonka kind of couldn't actually be trusted. And that this dream Charlie had right at the end because of the small print was whipped out from underneath him and the most aggressive and horrible condemnation faced him. And even though Willy Wonka changes his mind and Charlie gets the factory in the end, Something in me goes, I don't think I trust Willy Wonka anymore. He's an odd man. He's tricksy. He might shift the small print and change the rules. And it's quite human in all of us to have doubts when we come to Scripture and we hear the promises of God. That maybe we kind of think, well, maybe at the end of it all, I might have made some mistakes along the way. In fact... I've made many mistakes on the way. I don't know about you, but I certainly have. Not just in my life, but probably in this last week or this last day. Perhaps at the end of it all, God will actually condemn me and shout, I'm sorry, Matt, but you get nothing. Perhaps it's better off that I just stay here and don't actually look at the view at all. At least then I won't be disappointed. And yet, as if in 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 anticipating... Not anticipating, that's not a word. Anticipating this very fear in us. Before Paul lets us take that final step onto the peak of promise. Before we look at the wonders God has promised for us. He thunders a truth that utterly sweeps away the power of any self-doubt left within you or within me. Yes, you were once caught, dominated, reigned by your sin and by death in your life. Yes, you sometimes still sin and fall short. But now hear this and take this in, people of God. Because of God's abounding grace, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't doubt it for a moment. Paul is saying, if it was down to you or I, friends, seriously, let's be honest, we have broken so much of the small print, the medium print, the enormous print, so many times that there is simply no way we can inherit the promises of God on our own back. We would be utterly, truly and rightfully condemned. But this is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that none of this is down to me or down to you All of this is down to God's utter, overwhelming grace as seen in his son, Jesus Christ. Because he was condemned, you are not. Because he was condemned, you will never be condemned now by God. You should be, I should be, but we will not be. Wow. Hear it, as clear as that. There is no condemnation. Friends, God is not tricksy. 
He won't shift the rules at the last minute and angrily point to some small print. Are you worthy of the promises of God? Do you qualify on your own efforts? Absolutely not. Welcome to the same ship we're all on. But even as you stumble, God now speaks over you this truth. Because you are in Jesus. If you are in Jesus, if you've given Jesus your yes and you're following him, you have moved from life to death, from sin to grace, from law to the spirit, and there is now no condemnation for you. And there never will be. Let the enemy be silenced on this one. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Take a deep breath and believe that for a moment. And now, come on up and let's enjoy the view, shall we? (laughs) But wait, Matt, before we reach the top, and I just want to touch on this one. In a world where there's suffering so much, so many people hurting all around us, isn't it selfish to stand here this morning and enjoy all the good things and go, oh, look at all that I get. Doesn't Jesus call me to live for others, to feel their suffering rather than Kind of go, oh, isn't it lovely all that I've got? Well, I think that's a significant question. It may or may not be one you've ever asked. It's one I've wrestled with a lot through my Christian life. Expressions of Christianity that have seemed wholeheartedly selfish or self-indulgent have always left a bad taste in my mouth. They don't fit with me. I don't understand it. It doesn't feel Christ-like to me. However... As we stand on the mountaintop and look out at the promises of God, you must first realise that what God has in store for you, that he delights to give to you, by the way, that he desires for you to know and understand and to embrace, he also wants to give to all. It is a moment where we realise the goodness of the gospel, we realise this wonderful thing that we have, that we are fired up for mission that we want to share the goodness of God with all those that don't yet know him. And the other thing we'll discover is that God's promises are not just about us, not just about me or you. They're far bigger than that. His promises to us impact all of creation, all of the cosmos. It's not just about us. In a secular world that's lost its vision of God, that's rejected any overarching story of hope and promise. We need to fully understand and rejoice in the promises that God has for you and for me so that we may be those that shine a light, that live a different life, that others may see what God truly has in store for them too and that we may play our role fully in impacting the world with the good news of God's kingdom. So let's take a view. For our sakes, for the sakes of others, whilst I simply cannot do justice to this in one preach, there are just two things I want to pick up this morning to share with you, two promises I want to draw you to, that you may take them to heart this morning. You may already know them, but just be open to God saying, but you really need this this morning. You need to take this to heart this morning. Don't let it just be head knowledge this morning. Come, Holy Spirit, even now as we turn to this next portion of Scripture, I pray. And this is the first thing he promises you, a new identity. The first thing Paul points to as he's looking around is the most extraordinary change in who we are. It's this, verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. You are a child 
of God. If you love Jesus, even a little, you've given him your yes, you're seeking him, then you are a child of God. It's one of the most extraordinary things I think that could ever be said about an ordinary, messy, flawed human being, mortal human being like us. It is a brand new identity. Friends, from the moment you gave your yes to Jesus, not only were you forgiven, not only were you declared righteous, don't just stop there. I'm forgiven. That's the biggest exciting thing. No, that's one of the big exciting things. Not only were you forgiven, not only declared righteous, not only does grace now cover your life, but you've actually been adopted into God's family. You were saved from sin so that you could be saved for relationship with the Father. Don't miss out on the second one. Oh, I'm scotch-free now. I can do what I want. No. You were saved from that so that you might step deeper into knowing how wonderful your heavenly Father really is. And Paul knew the true weight and the wonder of what he was writing here. In Roman times, being adopted was an enormous privilege. A son was adopted into a prestigious family. This was the highest honour imaginable. In fact, many of Roman's highest rulers, the Caesars, were actually adopted. Julius Caesar passed on his rule not to a birth son, but to an adopted son, Caesar Augustus, who in turn adopted Tiberius and passed the rule on, etc., etc. With the adoption came the full status, the dignity, the power, the inclusion into the family. The love of the father. The person became a full, complete, cherished child. And as we stand on this mountaintop with Paul, he's pointing out the view and he's saying, can you believe this? This has happened to you and to me. We are adopted fully. And not just into some prestigious Roman family. We've been adopted into the greatest family of all. Father God himself has called me his son and adopted me into his family, called you his daughter and adopted you into his family. God himself. And I know we've touched on this a few times as we've gone through Romans, but this morning I want to draw your attention to the enormous significance of the Holy Spirit that he plays in this new identity as children of God. Having barely mentioned the Holy Spirit in the previous few chapters, Paul now mentions him 20 times. Spirit, Spirit, Holy 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 Spirit. I find it incredible when I talk to friends that never mention the Holy Spirit. I'm like, you need him more than anything. He's the presence of God, the gift of God in you. And Paul goes further. He says here, it's the Holy Spirit that you've been given, who's right at the heart of your adoption as a child of God. Verse 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. And Mark touched on that last week. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. It was the spirit. And by him living in us, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You see, by nature, the Father's always had one eternal Son, Jesus Christ. Their love and relationship eternally bound by the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. But Paul is now saying, you have now received the same Holy Spirit and are adopted into the Father's family along with Jesus. Jesus becomes your brother, full and without limit, cherished, loved and treasured beyond anything you can comprehend. 
And this is what God always intended for you. This is the great height of the gospel, not just being spared from condemnation, but being adopted into God's family, not just forgiveness, but relationship. Because relationship with the Father is what's at the very heart of this adoption. It's not just a legal piece of paper. It's the utter loving embrace of our Heavenly Father, an invitation to come and get to know him for all of eternity. This is why Jesus went to the cross, so that you may know this, that I may know this. This is what Jesus won for us. Paul writes in Galatians 4, it's so similar to the verses I just read in Romans 8. Galatians 4, 4 to 6, he says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba. Father, it's almost impossible to believe, but Father God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, into your heart and into mine, so that like Jesus, we can now call God Father, Abba, Daddy. Whenever Harry comes home, Harry's one of my four kiddies, you see him at the front there, he's one of the guys on the... um, on the square with Mark. Um, whenever he comes home from school, he's almost always filled with uh, not really understandable excitement to see me, to be honest, because I'm not that interesting, but he's so excited to see me. Daddy! He cries as he runs in through the door and he throws his arms around me. And this is compared to my older children, <laughs> having become teenagers or nearly teenagers, greet me rather less enthusiastically and say, all right, Dad, any biscuits? Yes, yes, I say. But not Harry. <laughs> no. He's always full of enthusiasm and passion. Love to see me. Same with you, Bex, as well. Mommy, Daddy. Sometimes he just starts a chant for no reason. Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. It's like having a cheerleader. As I left for church this morning, the window pinged open upstairs with his little head trying to squeeze out his window. Daddy! I'm like, yes! I'm getting in the car driving to church feeling great. Not all of all the things, in fact, that the Holy Spirit could have taught us to call Father God. He could have taught us to say, Sir. He could have taught us to say, Holy One. Or, great and righteous Father, these names are right and these are good. Address God with honour and awe. But the one the Holy Spirit, Scripture tells us, teaches us to say, is Daddy. It's so personal, it's so childlike. And unlike us who think that as we get older we need to tone down our signs of affection, seems to me, and it struck me this week as I'm preparing, that the Holy Spirit has never lost his utter childlike passion for the Father. And he never will. Have you ever thought of that before? How cool is that? The more the Spirit has spent time with the Father through all eternity, not a drop of enthusiasm or adoration has diminished. Not one. In fact, it's probably grown and always growing. And it's him who invites us to live with a deeper relationship with the Father. It is he who has been sent into our hearts. Isn't that thought amazing? Daddy, Daddy. So if you're feeling a little separate from God, 
If you're feeling a little dry or stale, I know who you need to fill you afresh this morning. It's the one who cries, Daddy, every time he sees the Father. So invite him to come and fill you again and soften your heart, and fill you with joy and love for your Heavenly Father, enable you to cry, Abba. Because, friends, there is so much more to discover yet in your relationship with God. Whoever you are here, and some of you have the most wonderful relationship with God, I know, far better than mine. But there's more. There's more. Holy Spirit goes, come on. You barely scratch the surface of how good Father God is. Come on. You see, you're an adopted child. Father has lavished his love on you. You're a child of God. That is what you are. So hear this promise this morning. Whatever's been spoken negatively over you in your life in the past, if you've said yes to Jesus, it no longer stands. You have a new identity. You're a child of God. And I want to say something really interesting here, and actually extraordinary when you understand it. But the way the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father who loves the Spirit, who loves the Father who loves the Son, who loves the... I just love the Trinity. Father now loves you with the same passion and love that he loves Jesus. Really? Yeah. Full adoption into the family. It's extraordinary. So whatever anyone's spoken over you, loser, idiot, failure, unreliable, disgrace, whatever's been spoken over you, no good. I want to break that this morning with the truth of God's word. In Jesus' name. And speak over you. If you have said your yes, however little, however feeble it may have seemed to Jesus, you are filled with the Spirit of the Son. and You are adopted child of God. Come on. What an identity. Yeah. I've got a Cornish year then. Come on. Love a Cornish year. Embrace that promise this morning. Right, I'm having a little look at the time. Let's keep going. Second promise then, I said there were two, is this one. He's promised that a new identity, you are a child of God. But if that incredible promise wasn't enough, Paul now points in another direction, to another extraordinary promise. He's getting so excited on the hilltop. You've got to see this. For with your new identity and relationship comes a new inheritance. Verse 17. Now, if we're children, then we are heirs, Paul says. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. There's your brother. You're co-heirs with your brother. Of course you are. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now I don't know about you, an inheritance, whether it's something on your mind, it's often very painful or sometimes difficult with families. It's not so difficult in my family because my dad has always promised us there are three things we can inherit and there are three children that he had. Uh, one is the grandfather's clock, 1760, same year that Beethoven was born. He tells us that with great pride. Uh, the second is a big, dour, brown oil painting that mum's been trying to get rid of for years <laughs> that hangs totally out of place in our house. <laughs> not, not so eager on that one. Um, and the, the third thing is his jigsaw collection. Uh, I'm going for the grandfather's clock, but, you know, who knows? I hate jigsaws, I'll be honest. But 
The inheritance Paul is talking about here is far more wonderful. He uses the word glory when he talks about it. You see, our adoption into the children of God means that each one of us now get to share in the glorious inheritance the Father has promised to Jesus. That Jesus isn't annoyed about this. Oh no, the more there is, the less I get. He willingly won this for us. You are a co-heir with Christ who won this for you, willingly, the inheritance that God has. This is how Calvin writes about it in the Institutes. This is the wondrous exchange made by his boundless goodness. Having become with us, so this is Jesus, the son of man, a human, he has made us with himself sons of God. By his own descent to the earth, he's prepared our ascent to heaven. Having received our mortality, he's bestowed on us immortality. Having undertaken our weakness, he has made us strong in his strength. Having submitted to our poverty, he's transferred to us riches. Having taken upon himself the burden of unrighteousness, which we were oppressed, he has clothed us with his righteousness. Isn't it extraordinary? So much of that inheritance we already know and experience in our lives. Peace and joy of knowing we are children of God. The relationship, the strength, the answer to prayer, the hope, the possibilities that we have being Christians. It does make a difference, you know. If you're not a Christian here this morning, gosh, what a difference it makes when you know Jesus. When you know the Father loves you and is for you. When you're stood on that rock, as Mark spoke about this morning. Whatever you face, it doesn't make life easier. In fact, sometimes it can make it harder. If we share in his sufferings, Paul says, the great promise that also comes, that Paul points to on this mountain, as he stretches our view as far as he can, is that one day all our sufferings will come to an end. He points off into the distance and says, can you see it? The day is coming that although it hurts now, the day is coming when each of us will experience something beyond our imagination. In fact, Paul says, 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. You see, God has promised the day where not just our souls, but our bodies will be restored. The great promise from the hilltop of, mountaintop of Romans 8, is not just I get to die and go to heaven, but that one day, Just like Jesus had a resurrection body, you and I will also have a resurrection body. His resurrection body and that great Easter resurrection is the great promise that this is the first of many. You too will be transformed, whether you've gone to glory in a dwelling in the presence of God, or whether you haven't gone to glory yet and Jesus comes again, all of us will be transformed. And you will have a real, tangible resurrection body, some ways similar to what we have now, in other ways utterly different, beyond our imagination. I could do a whole sermon on this. We have not got time. But just know this, your aching mortal bodies will be utterly transformed into something eternal. And on that day, they and you fully will no longer be bound by sin, but broken free. On that day, you will know no more sickness, nor disease, nor struggle, nor pain, nor death. God will wipe every tear from your eye. As Paul points out, and I've got to be quick on this, he says, 
I know that's amazing, but there's more! Look, just, just can you see it just over? It's not just about you guys. It's not just about us. The promises of God are far bigger than just a me thing. For not only will our bodies and souls be set free from the bondage of sin, but one day all of creation itself will be redeemed and restored. Creation has been subjected to frustration, Paul writes here, not by its own choice, in the hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That day is coming, Paul says. God hasn't finished with this world he so loves. He's not dumping this creation just as he's not dumping us. The great promise from the mountaintop of Romans 8 is that one day the whole of God's creation, which he took such delight in, in making plant life, animal life, sea, sky, cosmos, which has been subjected to sin, will be totally free. And we will finally be with God and he will be with us in the fullness of his love, the joy of being with him, dwelling in his kingdom, in a renewed heaven and earth. This is the great Vista, the great view from the mountaintop, glorious, of Romans 8. This is your inheritance, Paul says. It's not make-believe, it's a certainty. God is a God who keeps his promises. I think I'm going to come into land here and then worship and then I'm going to finish with the final verses as we close the service. As I was preparing, one thing kept coming back to me, and I believe God's saying this to us this morning. That yes, you may hear this, the promise of a new identity, the promise of your inheritance, but I believe God would want you to truly step into it. Step into your identity and embrace your inheritance. I wonder, have you truly done this? may be spoken over you, but have you lived like it's real? Have you really understood? I want to say to you, don't hold back. You see, the world needs us not to shrink back in false humility as God's children, especially right now, but to step into our full identity and inheritance. In fact, Paul says, creation itself waits in eager expectation. What for? Well, for the children of God to be revealed, he says. Somehow, the whole of creation's Restoration is linked to the timing of when God will reveal us, restore us. And until that day, and that day will be when Jesus comes again, he's called us to make a mark, an impact, to work for that vision now, not on our own strength as if we can do it on our own, but filled with the Spirit to love this world that needs loving, to tend to so many who are hurting, to care for this world that, believe it or not, God so loves to look after creation that God made, to reach out to the hurting, the lost, who don't know the love of Jesus, the displaced, the vulnerable, the homeless, and everyone in between, the rich man caught in his riches, the poor man struggling to make ends meet. The world needs us to step into our identity as the children of God claim our inheritance, to know it's coming, but to live in the reality of it now. There is a part in The Lion King, and I am going to bring this into land, it's a great film, 
we're going to be watching it as a church family. You're invited to it on the Friday of the week between the 10th and the 17th, the 15th. We're going to just put a big screen in Lion King. But there's a moment where Simba thinks he's killed his father. He hasn't, but his uncle tells him, it's your fault, you're a disgrace, you're to blame. And in guilt and shame, Simba goes off and lives in a far-off land whilst the kingdom falls into disrepute, death and carnage and darkness covers the kingdom as Simba goes and lives a life of just enjoying each day and kicking back and having fun. And there's this moment where he is advised to look into his reflection and to realise who he really is. And as he looks in his reflection, the voice of his father is heard and he says, Simba, you've forgotten me. You've forgotten who you are and so have forgotten me. You are more than what you have become. Remember who you are. You're my son. Remember who you are. And I believe God is saying to us this morning, you need to remember who you are. You need to embrace it. The world needs you to embrace it. The Lord himself has called you his child. He has given you the first fruits of this great inheritance, the spirit of God, the spirit of his son living in you. Stop holding back. If you've been too laid back, if you've been tuned out, if you've not been bothered, it's time to wake up again and realize I'm a child of God. I need to make an impact in this life. Follow the call of my Father. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. I'm aware of time, but I'd love us just to take a moment. We're going to sing Good, Good Father. But I just want to pray for a moment. And I want to pray this. I want to simply pray, come Holy Spirit. Because if you need reviving this morning, it's him who you need. If you need fresh passion to follow the Father's call, it's him you need. If you want to love Jesus more, it's him you need. If you don't know anything of what I've been talking about, but you've heard of this Father who loves you, and you've heard that you can be his child, then just let the Holy Spirit touch you and fill you this morning. And you can give your yes to Jesus too. You can talk to God. He's listening. Just ask you just to start to play, and I want to pray. And then when you're ready, I'm going to ask you to stand and just join in with these words that we sing. Holy Spirit, I just ask... In these few minutes now, before we hurry away and worry about our dinners and what's next. In these few minutes now, we just say, would you come? Would you come, Spirit of God, Spirit of Sonship, fill us again. Remind us that we are utterly loved. Remind us that there is no condemnation. Remind us that there is a purpose, an inheritance, a call on each of our lives. To boldly love, to cherish, to share, to reach out, to make a difference in this world. So come Holy Spirit, I pray, particularly for those who don't know Jesus this morning, would you come and just touch their heart? For those that are feeling dry and worn out, hear their prayer and come and fill and refresh, I pray. Holy Spirit, we love you. Come and teach us the chant, Daddy, Daddy.
come Holy Spirit now, I pray. 